Welcome to another episode of Jengana Podcast. This is the year 2020 and this is our first podcast. This year we are planning to do a series on how we build. Basically, we'll be talking about how construction is being done in Kenya. Today we are together with the whole Jengana team. I have Mike, he's a construction manager. I have Victor, he's an architect. I have Emma also an architect i have kevin a construction manager and i have gloria who's also an architect join us for this episode number five what about yourself Jengana episode and yourself my name is steve i'm also an engineer thank you very much so we start with our we are starting with our listeners question uh, over the over the past few weeks that you are not available, you are able to interact with our listeners. Thank you very much for listening to Jengana Podcast. You can catch us on Spotify. You can also catch us on SoundCloud. And we have a link on iTunes and Google Play. Hey, Google Play. Yes. Thank you very much. So our listeners question this. This, this episode is, why do you have electricity outages? And to answer that question, maybe the team can try and help our listeners understand why they why they continue paying the electricity bills but suffer a non power blackouts as they call them. And it is it isn't something right that you you have to pay when you pay for services and you're not getting what what you paid for. Is there something wrong? Well, I'd go first, uh, not to point fingers to KPLC, the guys who provide power to entire Kenya. But I'd say maybe a reason why we might be having power outages would be preventive maintenance from time to time, just to make sure nothing goes wrong in the long run, not to have big problems in the future. Yes, 
that can be a reason, a permanent fault. On the grid line, there are sometimes the transformers break down and they have to come and fix it. So when that happens and maybe other problems, wires and all these things. And the same question, that's why there are also blackouts when it rains. Always wonder, when it rains, why is there not electricity? Maybe the wires were loose and the water was able to penetrate. Then there is a reason for a drop in voltage. That's when you hear them, the, the, when they say that uh, the amount of electricity being produced in the, from the sources is not enough. So they have to regulate the consumption. Yeah. Also, I think there's also, there's also a problem with just a power blackout, mm. whereby the people at KPLC can just decide to shut down an area in the grid so that another area gets fed on the system. So whenever power blackouts happen, it's not the user's fault, but it's also the, it's the utility provider's fault, KPLC and all those people. So maybe when our economy grows, when we move out of this space of, no, of not knowing who to pass the responsibility to, we might go for other insurance options. Just in case uh, there's no electricity and we had paid for it, we can get paid back. Globally, the biggest electricity outage in history occurred on 31st July 2012, when 620 million people in India were without power until the next day. India is a big country. This is mm. Google material. Uh, not me. For a whole day. <laughs> <laughs> Just for a whole day. day. Yeah, imagine the loss of revenue. That's like a whole country. Yeah. <laughs> Half of the country. Yeah. Yes. Actually, who pays in such a situation? Right? Imagine if uh, power to go out in Kenya for a whole day. An entire day, 24 hours. The whole country. There are so many businesses that are going to lose money. Who is to be held accountable? Who do you sue? I think maybe it depends on what has caused the outage. Because mm. sometimes I feel that, not not even force majeure, sometimes I feel like um, Kenya Power doesn't respond swiftly to extremely dangerous situations. Mm. You may be walking down the street, you see the, like, the transformers burning, literally. Mm or wires parking. Mm. And no matter how long you call KPLC, it will burn, and then you take them like two days to come and fix. They have an emergency hotline. You can Google. Even if you <laughs> report, you will report, you're given that reference number, yes. and then all you can do is wait. People even take photos and videos and post on Twitter and Facebook, and you, you still wait, and you pass by the same street, and you find still the same fire is just burning on the transformer. Yeah. Of late, there's been cases of transformers burning. Mm -hmm. That I remember. That could be the extreme weather. Yeah. Or uh, improper use, maybe. Maybe it's being overloaded. Oh. Yeah. So, so I help. Uh, I hope you've helped somebody who, uh, the one who asked our question. We encourage you to keep on sending questions to Jengana Podcast at Gmail dot com and we'll be able to respond to them. The newspaper segment. What has been going on since 2020 started this year, or since December, this period? There's been a lot of reports, for sure, for ending the year. We heard a uh, report, they said the 
Kenyans test in housing. It was a report by Kenya Bankers Association and has consult. Anyone who read the report can just dig in and put give us some pointers. One one of the one of the issues that stood out in the report is uh, it was about where people are buying property. They said uh, these satellite towns, Atiriva, Kiambu, Rungai, people have stopped buying houses in those areas because the areas are not very stable at the moment. I don't know why. Also in those areas, prices in rent have also gone down significantly. I don't know why. But where they, they're saying the biggest improvement in prices is in Ridgeways. And the largest drop is a place even I don't think is called Runda. Oh. It has dropped by a negative 1.6%. Mm -hmm. yeah. Also, it says people prefer apartments in Kilimani, Langata, Lovington, Parkland, Upper Hill, and Riverside. The prices fell in those sides. So price falling, shouldn't that mean that there's less demand? So the prices are falling because people want to move into these places less. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So Kilelesho and Westlands registered an improvement. So people yeah. are moving into Kilelesho and Westlands yes. more. But I think people are also moving to these places, into the apartments there. Yes, people That's why the, the privacy and exclusivity of maybe, say, Kilimani, Kileleshwa, has gone down. Okay. But now people now can afford to go and live there because of the convenience. And they can go and live in apartments there. Maybe those who didn't have access to such spaces before now do have. And also, 75% of home buyers, 74% in the last quarter of last year, went for apartments. I but think I, also, mm. I also think, I think they were interviewing their own market. Mm. <laughs> you say, what are you, they are, they, are, they are actually interviewing maybe people with higher income and not people with low income. When you say someone prefers to live in Kileleshwa, Rijuiz, those areas, those are those are posh areas, as we know in Nairobi. So, okay, in my personal opinion, I think the article, the, the report. survey, oh. is biased. It it only targets a certain ma market, which is a small percentage of the entire Kenyan population. So, when you say that Kenyans prefer apartments. Maybe they prefer, but maybe they cannot afford them. And I then also, well, they, were, they were saying the previous third quarter, it was 85% mm. for apartments. Mm. Then it dropped to 74% for apartments. Mm. Then, machonets, it rose to 10%. So, people are moving more into machonets than apartments. Is that what you're saying? Uh, Preference people, I think people who had, who had gone to apartments mm. are now moving into machonets. While people less people are still people Making less prefer bungalows. Yeah. I don't know why people don't like bungalows. Maybe it's because of uh, space. Like you can't find enough land for you to do a bungalow that you know fits all your needs. Okay. Because plots are becoming smaller and smaller. Smaller and smaller. 
so more expensive. Yeah. You buy an eighth, you do your masonet. But so really thinking, what would you prefer, an apartment or a masonet? In in the conditions of why I would prefer an apartment, and why I think I think you said the preference ratio is seventy four percent for apartment, and the rest for single units. Yeah. It's because an apartment you're likely to get an ap- for the same price you're likely to get an apartment close to the CBD as opposed to getting a freestanding house mm. if you want a freestanding house that is close to the CBD that means you have to do current or you have to do Ronda mm. those are the close places or some parts of Langata and it means you have to be able to pay for the land on which it sits and pay for the house itself as opposed to when you're doing an apartment someone already takes up that cost for you mm. and he shares it the cost of the land between the people who are mm. going to take up the apartments so for a person who people prefer apartments for cost i think cost and accessibility accessibility yes. security mm. i think services yeah as compared to having your own your own space mm. it becomes expensive to manage the services mm. also before we started we were talking about sustainability Apartments are the future because in when you build apartments, you can house a lot of people a on a small piece of land yeah. compared to owning your own land in your own home. Yeah. Yeah. Also, some to uh, some other news. Bamuri uh, Semen share prices have hit a 17-year low. This is uh, on January 24th. There's something going on in Bamburi, and even after investing on a new, on a new, on a new plant, yes. they are still not recovering. So while the consumption of cement is really going, going up, up with affordable housing, mm. so this is a space we are going to monitor in 2020 and see how far Bamburi goes. Will it be sinking as fast as the Titanic, or it just explode like a nuclear bomb? <laughs> <laughs> we will wait and see. We will be here to to witness. Also, on something more positive, uh, Kenya set history on 20th of January as its first ever green bond was listed on the London Stock Exchange. The bond dubbed Simba Bond was put in place by Econ Holdings Limited, a residential real estate developer. And the Simba Bond included job investment opportunities in housing, finance, rele- renewable energy, and entrepreneurship. Econ Holdings is in partnership with the Helios Investment to do students' apartments and accommodation. This is a positive step for, for the industry. We are seeing bonds already coming up early 2020, and it's good. Something that with time we can learn more about this process. And yes, we commend we commend our government for for this opportunity mm. for putting Kenya on the map. I think credit should go more to Akon yes. as opposed to the government. I think Akon went out of the way to try and sell mm-hmm. the concept to the London Stock Exchange. 
yeah, so that they can get the investment necessary to make this thing happen. Yes. Mm-hmm. So far, that's, that's, that's something good. And we commend all the people who, who are involved in this process. So we have got to the point where we are going to our day's topic. And on today's topic is on how we build series. We start off by the one important factor that's, that goes into any construction project, the cost. And does it ever go lower? No. Construction cost has, has always been on the ascending. Ever since we got into the industry, construction costs have always appreciated. Whereby a project that you wanted to do two years ago, costing amount X, is probably twice the amount. And depending on many other factors that we'll discuss, that initial cost may be much more if you are doing the same project today. So we can get into our topic and discuss what is construction cost. When you are thinking of going into construction, the first thing that you think of is cost. What are the things that people out here think about when, when they're saying, I'm going to do construction. I have to put up a set amount X for. The first thing I'd say, people will say, I have to put for licenses and regulations. Another thing is, I think, I think when, when a person wants to build, that's not the first thing they, they think about. They, mm. Most clients will ask you, I want this, this type of house. How much would it cost? They just want to know. Do they have an idea of, do people have that idea of, I want, or do they just come, uh, come to architects and say, we want a three bedroom for three million? They always yes. hear something like that. Can I yes. hear So. Okay, from what I've seen, what usually happens is uh, a client saves up some money. They get to a figure that they imagine is realistic to have a house. Mm -hmm. Some of them have data. Many of them usually don't. So the first conversation is usually about that. They come, they say, I have this much. What can it do? So that's when now you have to break it down to them that if you have this much, this is the kind of uh, development you can do. Mm -hmm. So construction cost, I would say should be able to cover you know, the materials, everything that goes into the building from the foundation all the way to the roof, how it's all put together and packaged to give now that final cost. So you're saying the design is also a part of the first thing somebody comes up and say design, mm-hmm. have regulations, those people Regulations are also something that is cost-worthy. Mm-hmm. If you're doing it alone, you're not going to an architect or any professional. Mm-hmm. Then there's also professional fees. Mm-hmm. Yes. If you're doing it with a professional, there's professional fees you, yes. have, to, you have to think of covering. Mm-hmm. Then there is, what else? What else comes in cost? cost Utilities, let's say water, electricity. Mm-hmm. Do they mm-hmm. come up they at the beginning? Up. The major things is just, uh, yeah, in the beginning, of course, it's design, of course, the utilities. Mm-hmm. But for an entire construction, the basic things you look at are the materials that go into the design and the labor. Those are the ones going to eat up a chunk of the budget. So those are the the major things that affect you know how much a development is going to cost. And also the type of development. Mm-hmm. If you are talking of Returns on investment. If you're doing your own house outside somewhere, let's say you, you have your own plot, your piece of land, 
and you're doing your own house, the amount of money you're putting into your project, you won't see it as a return on your investment. Because in the end of it, you want a shelter. I think you have to look at it. When people go into construction, they are either looking at maybe uh, getting maybe a facility to facilitate something, or shelter, or return on investment. So someone, if somebody comes and, um, and wants a residential house, depending on how, how appropriate the design is for that person, how suited it is for them, then that the benefit or the return is them getting to live there and having a good sustainable you know, life there. And then if someone is looking at return on investment, depending again on how appropriate the design is for them, then it will either make sense or maybe they'll make losses or make, make profit depending on the design that you've, been, that you've given them yes. and, the, and the amount of money that they spend on it. Yes. And then the other one I was talking about is the other one was the design and the professional there's fees. The then no there's, there's the utilities. The, no, there's a reason people build. Yes. There's to get shelter. There is to return on, invest on investment. Mm -hmm. And then there's utilities, facilities, maybe a school, a university, a hospital. Mm -hmm. They do have, sometimes they have uh, return on investment. Sometimes maybe they just need a warehouse for keeping their things. So how efficient that facility is in maybe production, or whatever is maybe the return on or which is what they're looking at when they come to the designer. Okay. Yeah. Thank so you, Emma. And also maybe Mike, if we if you pick up from where Emma has left, you started by saying the cost of construction two years ago uh, for the same project and maybe today it always goes up. Why is it so? Why can't you save a lot of money today? Hoping that next year the cost of construction will have gone low. It's because the economy also keeps changing. And the value of maybe the shilling weekends against the other currencies as you so, it directly, affects so it directly affects the cost of materials. So you find sometime maybe something like cost of cement. Uh, maybe for these, let's talk about international companies. They will give you. They will not give you prices in terms of Kenyan shillings. They'll give you prices in terms of uh, dollars, U.S. dollars. And if today, you also see, you see, you see the way the dollar ch keeps changing. Today it's ninety. Three months down the line, it's ninety-seven, one hundred one. So you calculate that into Kenyan shilling, and you're a Kenyan client. You of course you'll give the money in Kenyan shillings. It, it's more. So if Today, even if the cost is the same in terms of Kenyan shilling, when you calculate into dollars, it won't be the same because of the exchange rate. That's one of the reasons. Probably another one is uh, the cost of the cost of now materials. They keep changing because someone thinks the producers think they are not profitable. For instance, like bamboo cement right now. Maybe because of competition, they are competing. Maybe with Blue Triangle, they are competing with other producers. They keep shifting their prices just to get that right price so that they can attract the market. Okay. Yes. And so, thank you, Mike. And so, when you're saying about the price being fixed and all this, Kevin, I wanted to get it clearer. In a way that there's so much information, somebody who wants to go into construction can go into the internet and check and find information. Let's say there's a report, 
maybe let's say you go to the uh, Institute of Continuous Surveyors, you get their handbook and you get some rates that they've been put there. You go to another study of theirs. Let's say like there's a report here for April 28. They are saying for a residential, they have compared prices for construction in Nairobi, coastal and western areas. For residential, a standard house is 48,000 per square meter in Nairobi, 54,000 in western and 51,000 in the coastal region. So do you think this kind of information is accurate for somebody who's planning to do a, a project for themselves? Or is it not, is it sufficient or is it lacking on some information? Uh, coming to the information that comes from IQSK, I think it's only true and precise at the point where, where they did the collect the data and gather the information. After that, I feel like everything varies. In fact, there's a thing, um, whenever I look at the IQSQ, IQSK handbook, I normally ask myself, um, when you're looking at the pr prices per square meter, you are assuming a model size unit of a house. You're not really build, thinking about the height of the building that's being constructed. If you're really building a tall structure, then this doesn't really apply. You'd find this maybe uh, per square meter costs that were developed for this were for maybe a building that's yeah, three meters high, mm. yeah, top floor to ceiling. Mm. But you'd find if you're building a bigger, a town hall, something bigger than that, then this, doesn't, this is not accurate information for you. Also, um, information like this, uh, yes, it's true. It gives you a rough estimate of where the client should be pointing his pockets to. But uh, if you're going to ask me, if you're going to put your coin to this, if you have a 100 square meter house and it's going 35,000 per square meter in Nairobi, you want to build that house for 3.5 million. It's totally inaccurate to me, yeah. And uh, also they were bringing the cost of, uh, there was a five bedroom is 15 million for to construct a five, yeah. Is it 15 or 5? I've forgotten so the information. But what what you can say from maybe this kind of information, there are these handbooks and approximate costs that they put as a guide for by the IQSK. I don't know why they do it. From from the information I have is that usually what they do is they get averages. So when a house is built, there's usually the original bill of quantities of what is expected to be for it to cost, and then this is how much it actually costs. So they do averages of several, several, several developments of a particular type, then they come up with the averages. That's also how they come up with rates even for specific materials. So even this 35,000 per square meter for construction is just for, they, 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 they normally say this is generally for residential, then there's some for commercial, which is different. Yes. Then there's some for high-end residential, which is also normally different. But it, they're just averages. So it's an indicator. It's not to be used as uh, the gospel truth. But usually, if the contractor is uh, very smart about how they employ their labor, and you know everything runs smoothly, it should fall, I think, within that range that is usually given. And they normally yeah. change them and every year, actually. And the yeah. information is like, it is 
just information they have to put out there because I feel like if you put information like this report and say without considering other factors like location, specification of building, wall to floor ratio, floor to ceiling height, site topo, this is everything in a site. Mm. And you put 54,000, it just <laughs> <laughs> throws you off. Well, I think um, this this rate they give us is like a base. So if it was a normal standard house on a flat terrain with no side forces and everything, then probably would cost that much. But then, you know, the price goes lower or higher depending on the site specifications, uh, the client needs, the client's taste, what they want. So you may get maybe it doesn't add up, but depending on the... Um, on the on the site conditions and all of those things then but it will just be somewhere in that range mm. also the way you're explaining it emma is like you're trying to to argue out that a quantity surveyor is a very important profession in the construction of a project yes so maybe uh, anyone who's listening can ask do i need a quantity surveyor in my project gloria does anyone, let's say, building a, a simple story building, when 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 do I need a quantity surveyor in my project? In my opinion, I think a, a quantity surveyor is necessary in the in construction because at least they are able to regulate cost and they are able to advise you generally based on cost. Some most clients think that they can carry out a project without one, but I think at the end of the day, they end up incurring more costs without a, a quantity surveyor than with a quantity surveyor. So in my opinion, that they are very important in the construction process. Thank you very much, Gloria. And maybe uh, another point is that a uh, quantity surveyor is a person you should involve in your project. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a quantity surveyor, I think other professions can cover you up. Mm -hmm. Maybe an architect. But it's good not to put all the blame on the architect. <laughs> because that is, where, that is where the client will always engage with. Mm -hmm. But if you have a problem as a client, I would advise you just go to your architect. Architect is like the, the, the doctor of the project. You see your beams are not working out, architect. <laughs> if you see your costs are not good, architect. If you want to change walls, you go to the architect. Also, to, to add up on the costs, so far we've said that costs will not depreciate anytime soon. If you have a plan to execute your project, just go ahead and do it. And construction being dependent very much on the political factors and the currency of the country, as long as, as they are changing, the cost will continue going up. So there are those factors, mm -hmm. design factors, adding professions in your in your project. Those will affect the cost. Mm. And one other thing that we haven't seen, we haven't talked about is regulations and approval. Maybe Mike, when you were reading about the about Nairobi City County last year, you found that the most the most permits were given to residential houses, then public buildings, then industrial, commercial and the least permits were given to mixed-use houses. These mm -hmm. mixed-use houses are linked to the affordable housing projects. Mm -hmm. Why do you think we have to get these regulations and permits in streamlined for, mm -hmm. for
for it to reduce the cost of our construction? Well, that's a hard question. I don't have the answer. The tip of my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> but you can but, go. But can what I'm together. thinking, with yeah. uh, say mixed mixed use. Mixed use, let's yeah. say maybe you build a hospital, hospital and a shopping mall yes. and houses. Yes. Let me just say, I think there's too much involved in it. Maybe also with something to do with maybe land use, which delays the process. Because the way I know is that what I know is that the land, the land determines what you're going to do with it there, according to how they've they have uh, they've divided it. So you find these projects before they are approved and all that. It takes a while. It takes time because of the viability. The viability of the project. Yes. Also, uh, there was some criticism to the city hall that the guy who was approving the houses, the the licenses, was mm -hmm. not in office. The result claimed that the they had not appointed anyone last year, mm -hmm. so there was a delay in permits. And this continues to affect affordable housing projects. As, as you can yeah. say something. So I think uh, you had asked, you had asked how, why it would be important to streamline the approval and permit process for construction and how it affects cost. I think it would be good, definitely, that uh, the approval process becomes more streamlined and definitely needs to be faster because mm -hmm. the, bi the biggest thing in all of these things is financing. Mm -hmm. A project can't start without money. So all these people go out and look for money and they look for finance models to, to get them to start their project. Now, when they do that mm -hmm. and then the permit starts to take time to come out, then it affects them. Obviously, when it takes long for the permit to come out, then the people who would be lending you money, you know, yeah. some of them fall fall along the way. Mm -hmm. And the ones who are already given you money start counting. If you are given money before that, they start counting they from start the day counting. they give you the money, you see? Yeah. So and, and also, what about these man-made problems in the city hall? Like they quoted here, they said, city hall's technical planning committee was suspended. Mm -hmm. And e permit downtime in the second half of 2019 was full of delays. Mm. These are just man-made problems. Yeah. I think there are people who want to to benefit from yeah. delays and give you permits that do not work. Mm. Also, also think the mixed use, the licensing was also fewer because there are few mixed use projects compared to residential and other other types of projects. Yes. Yeah, so that's why they are few. And, and why do you think the uh, return on investment for affordable housing is very low Maybe as compared to commercial longer. spaces and high-end houses? The thing is, the profit margin is small, so it takes longer to get your return on investment. And I don't think any wise investor would want to do that. So why are we investing in affordable housing if no one is going to put money there? People need I to think, live there. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> need, I, think, I think affordable housing is not supposed to generate income, income as such. As it's such. supposed to take care of the need, the great need for housing we have. Mm. Yes. 
So, so you want somebody, be, you want to somebody be, to put is, in It has to be billion. someone who will be patient. <laughs> no, it just needs to be sustainable. It's yes. not supposed to be designed to make money. Yeah. You see, you're not you're not going into affordable housing so that tomorrow we start ripping the money. Mm. No, it needs someone who okay now. I want this project to go on. I'm not interested in the profit. Maybe in the next ten years, something like that. That's the only way it's, it will work. But if you are going there because you want, you want you want to start earning money as if you're building a mall, it won't happen. I mean, I mean that's I think that's the mindset most investors have in Kenya, and that's why affordable housing is. Still, in, it's still something that maybe it's still a dream. It's not happening. I think affordable housing should mostly be a government project. Yeah. Mm. But I government needs private investors. Yes, yeah. even the government. Then they just have a deal. Yes. Because it's for greater good, yes. it should be owned by the government. Yes. Government should own, but they should come up with an incentive to make yes. uh, private, private investors, investors put in their money. Put in their in money. affordable yes. housing, yeah. yes. So it can be in form of treasury bills or they need to give private investors something. But the government needs to do these projects and they need to get they the money. They somewhere. need to create a formula yes. of yeah. how these people can earn because mm. there's no way they're putting in their money there mm. and they won't see their returns. Mm. And who is getting the affordable housing? Kenyans. Kenyans. <laughs> Citizens who need it. Who need housing. Yes. Yes. According to a report, Kenyan housing deficit increases by 200,000 annually. That's a World Bank report. 200,000 people Every year. Yeah. Mm. Therefore, the government needs to have a continuous Sometimes World program. Bank can throw us off, yeah? But mm. that's a report. <laughs> it's 200,000. 200,000 is a lot to cover. I think, I, think it is, I think it is possible. But then again, I feel... You want to build how many units this year? By two years, according to the Big Four agenda, mm. yeah. it was one thousand five hundred. <laughs> but have you seen those affordable housing mm. being built? For example, in in Gara, in Parklands, in Parklands, mm. is it Parkland? Yeah, yeah. There, mm. there was there was even an AK. Is it a built or an event to go and to go and see them? To me, um, yes, they might house people, but they don't really reduce the need for housing units. Yeah. And also affordable housing for me, the argument we had earlier was that affordable housing has to be has to be pegged on the income of a person. Above all things that come in architecture, this utilities, green space. I think if person X earns a thousand shillings of the population, let's say the population mostly earns two thousand five hundred, mm-hmm. it will be lo- houses that rent-wise is five hundred shillings. Mm, that's true. So I how can you build a house for five hundred shillings rent? I think it's not just in the, the CBD. Not just the rent also, <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> you have to build these houses somewhere in the. I think I think it's not just also about how much money mm-hmm. someone can can afford to pay for a house. Mm-hmm. It also needs it's to about be the money, I think. At the end of the day. Also, yes. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's the money. Yes. It's mm-hmm. how the person earns their their living. So if that housing does not uh, f- uh, further or does not promote them getting their income, then they cannot live there. What mm. I think w- you in, in many words you're saying mm. 500 is not possible to build a house. Okay, 500 is an arbitrary number, I 
think 500 is an arbitrary number. But whatever the number is, we need to establish on average how much because you can't cater for everyone. On average, how much does a Kenyan make per month? And then you look at that amount and then you say rent should be about a third, a fifth to a third yeah. of that amount. So with that, then you can calculate, okay, so affordable housing rent should be about this much. Mm. So how much should the building itself cost? You see, so the uh, factor of the... And who should cover the cost mm. of construction? It should be part government, part government. It should be mainly the government. Of course, whatever this person is paying should cover part of it. The government should pay for part of it. Mm. Because it's a development at the end of the day for everyone. Mm. Yeah, It's not a money-making venture. Okay. It's just housing people. I'm just mm-hmm. thinking a wild question. Uh, if you go and ask somebody and tells you, okay, how many how many years do you want me to pay 1,000 shillings? You tell him, I want you to pay 1,000 shillings for 100 months. I think that comes to 100,000. So that guy can say, just give me 100,000 in my bank. I go back to my rural home and I build my home and buy cows and live there. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. This, mm. The pro- the thing with affordable housing, as in, it's it's complex. It's difficult. Yeah. It's difficult to go and find that price that suits everyone. For instance, when you say five hundred, you know, see, it's almost impossible. It's like maybe living in a slum. That's the rent of maybe that those places. Mm. But now, when you come to affordable housing, this thing is just complex. You cannot just build houses and then you'll say that 500 is rent. Even it won't be enough to cover the cost of maybe let's say the not even the cost of ele- yeah. the, or the cost of uh, construction, running it, operating yeah. it. You you need people to clean and those, do all those sort of things. That 500 is not enough. I say this because you see, it's a problem even facing developed nations. Something. Let's talk about United States. You hear them talking about American dream. In the USA, it's difficult to own a home than to have a car. People have cars and they don't have homes. People people sleep in cars. And because houses are just expensive. Even if you say affordable, affordable housing, they still remain expensive. It's just difficult to just lower that price. Mm. I think yeah. I think first of all, housing is a costly venture. And then number two. Um, why I say that housing must be able to give someone a livelihood is if you give someone, let's say me, let's say I work in, I work in town, the CBD. Even if you tell me to go and live, say where, uh, personally, if you tell me to the go suburbs. and live, not in the suburbs, if you tell Leafy me to go and live in Fika, in a good house, in a good house, that would cost me 500 shillings, which is appropriate to my earning. The mere fact of the commute does not allow me mm-hmm. to live in Fika. So even if the government goes and builds affordable housing in Fika, I might still choose to live in mm-hmm. in uh, Githurai, for example, or mm-hmm. you know somewhere closer. Also, okay, mm-hmm. now even you've brought, maybe we'll cover this in a new topic sometime. I think there's competing houses. 
that are competing with affordable houses. Yes. These are private. <laughs> there's a <laughs> reason why. These are some houses yeah. in Umoja, <laughs> in Picaro. And there's a, there's a reason why people live there. They are competing with affordable housing, price to price, no. neck to neck. I'm telling you. <laughs> mm. are, but what are the conditions? Huh? But what are the, the conditions also have to be? Yes. But they are competing. I may choose lower conditions. They'll give you a better Closer. chance. Mm. Good. They just change yeah. the design small <laughs> mm. and give you a better house. I'm also thinking for this affordable housing housing to work, it has to be a big project involving other infrastructure exactly. projects. Exactly. Other mm. infrastructure projects. Because you cannot go just build affordable housing in Rongai or Thicker and expect everyone yeah. yeah. to move there. there. Mm. Because now that will be traffic, it will be causing a new problem traffic jams. On top of that, yeah. we don't even want to do BRT. Yeah, we don't want to do BRT. Also, the factor of competing affordable house builders in courts, yes. <laughs> those ones, they are coming up very fast. You build, you build. Just to summarize on the affordable housing, there's a website, it's called Bemayangu. .go.ke. I'm sure you've joined. If you're not joined, you join. Then you can be making your contributions. There is a project called Park Road Ngara. One bedroom goes for 1.5 million. That is affordable. Is it? Yes. Is it? Yeah. A, a what? One bedroom, bedroom for 1.5 million. 1.5 that's, a, that's okay. Yes. How many square meters? 30 square meters. Oh, 30 square meters. Yeah. It's 50,000 per square meter. Yeah. <laughs> what makes it affordable? <laughs> <laughs> Why are they calling it affordable? If you are, are you the I one paying the entire 1.5 m, or is it or is it being subsidized by someone? This is already subsidized price. What? Okay. Let's no, talk about. But again, in Park Road, you have two bedrooms. In Park Road, here in Two million. Yeah. Let's say. One bedroom for 1.5 million. But because you're thinking of yourself as affordable. You're thinking of affordable housing. Let's mm. put, you're thinking of any Kenyan can go and, and participate in this project for 1.5 million. How much sweat will a person do in, let's say, I'm not saying these are the lowest earners in the country. I don't know the lowest. Mm -hmm. Let's say a person who, who, who does, I cannot say profession. I'm just saying any person you just know. Informal oh, sector. Yes. Informal sector. With this price, they're targeting policemen and teachers. Let's say even, even people, people like us who do online writing. Can we mm. afford 1.5 million? Online oh, writing. How many articles are those they're writing? <laughs> no, what is, the, what is the finance? <laughs> what, is, <laughs> what is the finance model? Maybe it's affordable because you can pay this 1.5 million in 20 years. So you pay rent, you pay rent, you pay rent until you own it. Why, why can't I go to the competing yeah. affordable house people and just pay that rent? And now, now because a new, a new neighborhood every time there's a new apartment because coming Because here you yes. get to own a house at the end of it. Mm. The rent that you've been paying also right now, the, that money goes <laughs> to someone's pocket. That's a good point. Yes. I also feel that there's just, maybe there's failure in uh, mobilizing people with because if people in Momo, in Umoja are building bed sitters and those houses that people can afford, why can they be engaged? They have the money. 
where can they be engaged in this affordable, uh, affordable housing. housing so that they can build that mo- with that money and they are taking the houses to the people yes so the people come into Ndara. Oh, yeah. yeah i think there is maybe there is maybe there is a perception but me- there is no money there yeah, there is nothing i think that one is a topic we can discuss mm-hmm. yeah just talk of affordable housing and these competing factors yes mm-hmm. okay so to final point is th- is big data big data can really help us know about cost more and plan for costing and everything and also create smart cities and also create not smart, smart <laughs> cities they sold to us that idea to have a solution so i'm just saying about when, data. when we start collecting data as kenyans i think credible data not the one you've read for 50 square 50000 per square feet per square meter <laughs> credible data and and I'm sure there are there are companies out there they uh, they are doing the big data solutions and you can check them out and you can go there for consultants if you're doing a big project and they'll tell you uh, they can predict for you they can just forecast it's like is it forecast or predict one it's of those it's feasibility yeah just feasibility uh-huh. but it's good also technology has really changed how cost is being implicated is being put in the industry mm-hmm. so so far we can say that when you're starting to cost your house in conclusion we can say you check on the size of the house the house features the quality of the finishes the square footage the size those are the major Those are the major things and you can involve an architect at that point. Yes. Then in the end of it, with the money that you have, there are factors that will affect your cost as time goes by. These are things like political factors, the value of the shilling, and the project baseline. Uh, the period, the time, the cost, the quality of everything. So thank you very much for joining us today as we've tackle our topic today on cost increment in the construction industry. Our next episode will be on how we can manage this cost. How we can how we can manage what are the financial solutions and what are the constructions method and materials that you can use to cover up on the cost. I think that will be a, a very good next episode as a continuation to our introduction of construction costs being high. I thank you very much for listening to us. Again, you've been with us with Mike, he's a construction manager. With Victor, you can you can meet him at Vinical on his Twitter handle. With Gloria, you can meet her at at @gloria_tanui on Twitter. With Emma, you can meet her at Emma Lukosi. And with Kevin you can meet him at kevin.carson1 on twitter and me myself steve you can meet me at steve muguya thank you for listening and the closer for this week is in respect to the old man the legend sia sambaya bai shambaya <laughs> <laughs>